birthday hard. Happy greeting, we're not in Kansas anymore. Wish I knew how Queens is it? I'm gay. You can't love yourself. How in the hell are you gonna love somebody else? Can I get an amen? Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I am Robbie Roselle. I'm Rob Schneider. And, and welcome is... to oh oh you know what? We have not gotten this down to not a science once. yet. 14 so, episodes still can't do it. So let me, you know what? Let's uh let's do this. Uh this is Gay Card Revoked. And uh I, I took the turn this time. I'll take Good the turn. For you. Thank you. Honestly, I love a dominant top. Thank you know, that's another, I've read your autobiography. I feel it's like a, that's something nothing no one has ever called you, so me? No, no. I've, I've I've gotten a lot of other things. Weeping bottom. The, weeping bottom is a, mm-hmm. is a, is is a big one. Um, yeah. uh, you said you were generous. Uh, is another big one that, that comes by a lot. Tell the reader what we're what we're going to discuss today. We are t- we're very very excited. One mm-hmm. about the movie. Uh, two about our guest. Um, the movie that we are talking about today is the 1982 uh, gay totem pole, the gay classic Victor. Victoria, starring the fantastic Julie Andrews and uh, James and her, uh, James Gardner and Robert I'm Preston, um, Leslie Ann Warren, Miss Scarlet from from Clue, and my and my personal favorite Alex Karras, who played Webster's stepdad um, as the as, as the football player who comes out of the closet. I used to love him on Webster because he never he never did a line reading with any cadence. It was always just like. Webster, you shouldn't go in the library, and that was it. And it was like that's acting, that's acting, folks. It Less is more. The Alex Karras School of Acting. Less is and, more. And every single one of our episodes, we have a cocktail. I chose a French seventy-five because it's a combination of gin and champagne. So it's gin for London. You see what I did, England, and also champagne, which is very Paris. So it's one and a half ounces of gin, three quarters ounce of fresh lemon juice. Freshly squeezed. If you can't get freshly squeezed, store-bought's fine. Um, <laughs> thank you. Uh, simple syrup. And then uh, you, you put all that into a, a thing over ice. You shake it up, pour it over, and then add some champagne to it and add a lemon peel twist. French 75. I, that sounds absolutely delightful. And also yes. absolutely delightful is our guest for today, the person who, yes, uh, when we asked him, do you want to be on this podcast, and we said, what do you want to talk about? He immediately said Victor Victoria, which makes me very, very happy. Um, he is a actor that I've known for quite some time. He is an old soul at heart. He can tell you just about every single movie that Catherine Hepburn was ever in. You will find him watching TCM at just about every moment of the, of the day. Um, but I'm so happy and so proud because recently he has blown up the internet with his- He's having uh, a minute. He's having a, a very long minute and a very a well, minute. a very well deserved minute because I think mm-hmm. he's one of the funniest people I've ever met. His name is Michael Judsonberry. He's blowing up the Instagram, as the kids say, and the TikTok um, with his fantastic Moira Rose impression from Schitt's Creek. Not only is it, not only do people just absolutely adored and love it, the fantastic Catherine O'Hara, who created the character of Moira Rose, has gone on record saying that his impression is the best with a full detailed explanation of why it's the best. So I am pleased to bring to the podcast the wonderful Michael Judson Barry. Michael, how are you today? Well, hello, you. (laughs) (laughs) I am so happy you are here. First of all, 
I have to ask you about first of all, you you do fantastic impressions. You have done impressions yeah. since the day I've I've known you, and I'm always amazed by like what obscure person you pull out of your ass, and you're what like, oh random. yeah, I can, yeah. <laughs> I can do this. So tell me where first of all, where did you learn your ear? Where did you gain your ear for impressions? And how did this Moira Rose thing come to be? Uh, I think the ear for impressions started when I was really young. Um, I think because I, I got really into comedies, watching comedies when I was young, but great people like The Carol Burnett Show. Like, I would sit and watch the, the late-night infomercials for Laughing and The Carol Burnett Show. Like, never actual proper episodes, but, like, the, the infomercials for the DVD collection. Yes. I would watch those because I never slept. And got <laughs> into, like, sketch stuff. And then my mom got me really into Monty Python, and so I'd imitate them all the time. And then I discovered that Robin Williams live on Broadway... Uh, yeah. that he did, that you could get the DVD and the CD, and I memorized the whole thing and would do all his voices. And so I don't know, I think I just grew up being obnoxious and doing funny voices. Like, my poor family, every night at dinner, I'd be like, well, hello, family! And they were like, we hate you. <laughs> um, but now it's coming in handy. It's, so, it's coming in very handy for you. So where did the Moira Rose come from? So, I mean, I just really love Schitt's Creek, and, you know, obviously a lot of my friends do, and we would hang out and my roommate does a really good David and I have friends who do Alexis and I would do Moira and just like as a joke, we'd be like drunk at a bar and be like, well, oh my goodness, I'm so lost. And enough people told me it was kind of funny. And then I did it at uh, an improv jam at the pit and I did Moira Rose as if she was the manager of a Sephora. And that was right before lockdown and it went really well. Um, and that's when I was like, oh, maybe I can do this. And so, you know, looking for things to do in, in lockdown and I was like, well, what if Moira had her own quarantine talk show but she would drink tea so that's where the idea of like you know every other day or so we'll have tea with Moira Rose and she'll give her give you her perspective on you know the the pandemic so you just posted this on your Instagram to make your friends laugh and and yeah literally just an inside joke my roommate had four old wigs from Halloween costumes at the bottom of his closet <laughs> and did it I didn't think anyone would watch it and the second one I posted I think got like 2,000 views or something like that and then my my friend who does drag texted me and he was like, Michael, this is going to be a thing. Brush your damn hair. And then my mom messaged me and she was like, try and keep these positive and upbeat. And so that sort of became the thing. I was like, well, what, what can I address, but in like a fun, upbeat, shit's creaky way. Is and now like I have about 25 wigs and all kinds of jewelry and outfits. And I've worked in, I think almost 20 different characters. Um, oh. It's come a long way. Is your mom in the business? No, she's a clinical psychologist. So, oh. I love how she I mean, gave notes, way. though. <laughs> oh, she always does. You know, I, she was the she was that like, you know, kind of quiet Mama Rose type mom. Like, I remember I, I when I was eight, I bombed an audition for The Music Man because I refused to really practice beforehand because I thought I was just so good I didn't have to. And I bombed the audition. I walked out. She made me go back in and apologize to the director for wasting his time. <laughs> kind of obsessed with your mother. Mom. Yeah, <laughs> she, yeah. She and she still gives me notes. Like, I'll do an episode, and she's like, "I loved it, but you know, you could really work on your share, Michael." Like things like that. Like, Thanks, mom. Thank you. And okay, so so you've you've done this. It's taken off. How did it feel to have Catherine O'Hara, who created this character, in an interview, be like, "Oh yeah, he's fantastic." Oh, it was incredible. I honestly was just waiting for a cease and desist, and then she <laughs> no. said, and then she came out and said it was really funny. Um, yeah, it was insane because I've been a huge fan of hers, obviously since well before Shit's Creek. Like, because mm -hmm. I remember I would go on YouTube rabbit holes of SCTV sketches oh, with yeah. her and Andrew Martin and you know that whole crew, and um, and then obviously you know the Christopher Guest movies and Beetlejuice. So I've loved her forever. So for her of all people, you know, to say that 
that I was funny. It was just like, for the first time in my life, I think I was speechless. Once again, one of the things I'm loving that you're doing with this is you're starting to bring in so many other characters and so many other voices to, to interact with, with Moira, and it's just really fantastic. And you can follow Michael, if you haven't done this already, at M. Judson Barry. And of course, if you go into our description, uh, you can click on the link and you can follow him right then and there. So Michael, you could have picked any gay artifact. Yes. Um, and you chose Victor. Victoria. For those who might not have seen it, in a little nutshell, can you tell us what is the story of Victor Victoria? A woman pretending to be a man, pretending to be a woman. Um, That's it. <laughs> there it is. That's the whole movie. There you go. Um, so it's uh, it's about Julie Andrews, who is this sort of over-the-hill um, opera singer who gets ditched. Her opera company falls apart while they're on tour in Paris. It's Paris 1930s. And um, She's, she's really down on her luck, and she meets Carol Todd, who's Robert Preston, who's this wonderful um, gay cabaret performer. And he comes up with the idea that um, she could be a, a female impersonator. She has this, this scene happens where someone thinks she's a man, and she becomes the toast of Paris as this male-female impersonator. But then, of course, she meets uh, James Garner, and they fall in love, and then she has this real dilemma. Does she pick the love for her career? And, um, and you know, hilarity... Ensues. Um, <laughs> so I'm really good at giving you a synopsis. Aren't that was. Good. I even thought I was like they're going to ask me this. I should. Be <laughs> it, it's it's every TV guide description and hilarity ensues. But, and hilarity Jesus. ensues. It's a lot of cat and mouse, but that's basically you know, you you Julie, follow her over the course of that little journey. Cat and mouse is actually like the the name of a music piece that's in the musical version. Of oh, yeah. really? Victor Victoria. Yeah. So, Michael, when did you first discover this film? So. Victor Victoria was the first Broadway show I ever saw. Um, Musical. I, yeah, my first ever Broadway show. I'd seen shows in Toronto, so I grew up in upstate New York. So we saw, you know, Beauty and the Beast and Lion King, you know, the shows you take your kids to, but always in Toronto. And, um, but I, I loved musicals and Julie Andrews was my favorite actress. I, Mary Poppins was my favorite movie as a kid. And for my 10th birthday, my uncle, who was a fireman in New York, offered to take me to a Broadway show and I got to pick whatever show I wanted, he would take me. And I remember Bring Into Noise, Bring Into Funk was on Broadway and Music Man and Rent and all these other shows they thought I was going to pick. And I was like, no, Mary Poppins is in a Broadway show. It's called Victor Victoria. I don't know what it's about or what it is, but I will see Mary Poppins. And so he took me to see it. And luckily he was dating a dancer at the time who knew half the ensemble. So they brought me backstage and I got to meet, you know, dance on the stage and meet everybody. So it was this big magical evening. And then I went home and I was like, it's based on a movie? Um, and watched the movie. And I was like, oh, this movie's amazing. And so I, I've loved it ever since. Where did you discover the film, Rob? I discovered the film on TCM. I was a TCM junkie. And I remember that when The Birdcage came out um, in the in the mid-90s, uh, TCM did a whole bunch of, like, gay films for, for a night. Like, I think they played the original Lacage, but Victor Victoria was one of them. And Robert that was my Osborne, like, like, Robert came Osborne. out and was like, Hi. <laughs> Hi, I'm Robert Osborne. Tonight, Julie Andrews and Look. Robert Preston team up for the second time <laughs> in what would be Robert Preston's only Oscar-nominated role. Like, mm -hmm. Hi, I'm Robert Osborne. <laughs> in this madcap homosexual romp. <laughs> yep. I live on the set. I was like, this guy does... I'm no, part of that. I'm part of the set. You know, nobody talks like a variety headline like Robert Osborne. No, not one. <laughs> Bafo box office. 
<laughs> he's so relaxing though. He's like an ASMR thing. Like I just yeah. want to hear his voice and watch paint dry. I feel like that would just relax me so much. <laughs> Little trivia um, about this film. Henry Mancini had a Caesar salad while he was making it. <laughs> Enjoy Victor Victoria from 1982. And one of the things I love in this film is that um, she has a mentor. She has the great Robert Preston who plays uh, uh, Toddy, like you said, it was a role originally for Peter Sellers, but Peter Sellers passed away. And we love mentors. And so, Michael, I'm curious, who was your Toddy? Who was your, your mentor? It would be uh, this wonderful man named Daniel Faltas, who, when I moved to, I've moved back and forth to LA a few times. And the first time I moved there, I think I was like 22. And it was my striking out on my own. And a friend recommended him for a, a voice teacher. Um, he's an accompanist and voice teacher. And I walk in and he teaches out of his house, which is this little bungalow in Hollywood that was originally part of the Charlie Chaplin um, studios. And so it's this group of little bungalows and they were the star bungalows. And so he lives in one and it's painted all pink. And all of his furniture were like Hollywood um, memorabilia type things he'd gotten at garage sales. So he had Jimmy Stewart's chairs, he had Betty Davis's doorknobs, he had Truman Capote's paperweights and a whole wall of these framed black and white pictures of like great divas that he, you know, that signed for him, like Ann Miller and Faye Dunaway. And, um, and he, he kind of looked like um, Fred Astaire. He had this very, a slightly more handsome Fred Astaire and he was dressed in like beautiful jackets and cravats and um, tall, thin blonde man. And, um, it was amazing. We would sing for an hour and he was very persnickety and a uh, very good voice teacher. But then he was like, well, now for the real education. And he would make these cocktails and then play music and we'd sit there for hours. And it would either be like Liza at the Palace, because I had never heard it, or Leontine Price, or um, oh, I don't even know, or like clips of Phyllis Diller, you know, like these great sort of like icons that I had never really known about. And we would talk about old movies because he's another huge old movie buff. So we would go into these hot debates about like bringing a baby, um, you know, and then we'd just sit, you know, drink cocktails and listen to music. And he would teach me the, the skill and the art of a good cocktail, like how important it is not to bruise the liquor, you know, like, so it was, he was just a, a, an amazing person. He is an amazing person. He hasn't gone anywhere. <laughs> um, so you, you had a real mentor. You had a real private education. Yeah. One of the things I find really interesting is that this film comes out, I think, in uh, 1982. And like 81 to 83, we have a lot of um, gay mainstream films that come out in this area in addition to Victor Victoria. Some of the other ones include Cruising with Al Pacino. If you've never seen I know oh, we're yeah. going to be talking about that at some point. Um, I hope so. Making Love, Partners, uh, Tootsie, Personal Best, and of course a personal favorite, Yentl. Um, <laughs> yeah. And Victor Victoria is in this as well. Why do we think that um, the early 80s was such an onslaught of, of these films uh, featuring queer characters, which had really not been seen in mainstream movies before? We have them either in farces like Victor Victoria or in like really serious things like Making Love and all that stuff. What's what's going on, folks? Why do we think that's happening? It's probably because it's pre-AIDS, right? So like the sexual revolution has happened. Uh, Stonewall has happened, things like that. But AIDS hasn't hit the mainstream yet. Do we think that had AIDS not come around, we would have seen more films featuring queer characters? Because it seems like this is going on a really upwards trajectory at this yeah. time. 100 yeah. percent it it was that march up and then when the when the epidemic hit it sort of slammed a door and regressed us decades yeah yeah it, I that's was my opinion rewatching victor victoria and i was like there's so many moments in this that would 
be forward thinking for today. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that with James Garner, he his thing, he like genuinely falls in love with her and he falls in love with her before he knows for sure she's a woman. And I love certain lines he has, like when she's out to dinner with him and he's like, I don't buy your relationship with Toddy, her fake relationship, because they pretend to be lovers. And she's like, why? Because homosexuality is a sin. And he was like, who says that? And, you know, I like that that, it's not that he has an issue with gay people. It's that, that he loves her and he, he knows that she's a woman. And it's never, he's a leading man that I love that he's not homophobic at all. You know, yeah, her, he's yeah. like, I love, you know, he kisses her and she's like, I'm not a man. And he was like, I still don't care. Or I don't mm-hmm. care if you are a man, kisses, you know. So, so Blake Edwards wrote that line um, and feels that it was a cop out. Oh, really? Yeah. And he, he said, I was scared. And so I wrote, I wrote that line and added it to the script. Um, and later in life, he said that he probably wouldn't have that line in there today. Okay. How interesting. How interesting. Mm-hmm. So, but you're right. It is, there's a lot of forward thinking in all of this. Yeah. And, and that Bernstein, you know, that he, the, the bodyguard um, who turns out to be gay, who's like so masculine. And I like mm-hmm. that no one in that movie is sort of, even the gay characters aren't necessarily quote-unquote stereotypical. They're not playing stereotypes, they're playing real grounded people. What I really appreciate about the film is that once he admits his homosexuality, he doesn't then start adopting like the stereotypical traits, which could have been a very easy laugh that all of a sudden now his wrist is limp and all of a sudden he has a sibilant S and they really keep the integrity of the character and I think that's something that should be celebrated. For sure, and then also even that little bit character that James Garner, that he like runs into in the boxing ring and mm. he's like trying to pick a fight because he has to prove his masculinity. He's going to go mm-hmm. fight a guy. And it's like, yeah, that's the French middleweight boxing champion, but don't worry, he's gay. Yeah. And then of course, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, again, not a stereotype that they have a boxing champion who's a gay character, you know? And I love that you say it's a farce and it is, you know, it is a farce, but I like that what makes it farcical is not making fun of these characters. It's the situation that's the farce. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> and it does something that a lot of farces, I think, it's hard to do and that's, it gives it a heart. Cause a lot of farces, mm-hmm. you're just supposed to sit there detached, watching and laughing, but you're not emotionally invested. And here you get emotionally invested in the story of this, yeah. of this one individual. And a reminder to our listeners, why does she, Victoria, why does she have to act like a man and put on male drag? Um, well, that, that's sort of her aim. She can hit this crazy high note. She was an opera singer. And enough people believe that she's men, so that's sort of her way in as into becoming a, a female impersonator. Because I think they were very trendy at the time, um, in that period in European history, to be a female impersonator. So she becomes a big star, and so if she can convince people that she's a man who can sing these super high notes. Then she becomes a mega star, and it's the first time in her career that she is a huge success. Right. And honestly, it's a means to an end too, because she is starving at the top of this. Film. Literally, oh, she has that great back and forth where she's watching the guy eat the eat a meatball. Oh no, well, the, she yes, also yes. has sex with the guy for a meatball, but then right. she's eating that, uh, watching the that guy Danish. eat that like treat, and she just passes out. Oh, Eclair, whatever it is, yes, yeah. Oh. Uh, so the farce of I, and because Blake Edwards is such a brilliant farce director, there are moments wow. within this movie that are expertly done my favorite of them being the the cockroach um scene where he pulls back to just the outside of the restaurant but you see the mayhem happening within oh yeah (laughs) truly one of the smartest shots that i've seen 
in comedy film mm. ever because it yeah. it doesn't get in close where a lot of uh, directors would like zoom in on everything and he just pulls all the way back to watch us uh to to let us watch what's happening through the windows of this cafe yeah and then also all those wonderful little like goofy moments that I think Blake Edwards does so well, like with the private and guest investigator that the guy mm-hmm. hires to follow her. And every time you see him, he gets hurt. Like he's standing yes. inside of window and gets struck by lightning. He's holding a cupboard shut and she shuts it on his finger, but he's always so stoic and silent. Um, and then yeah. of course the whole, like there's a whole thing where they're all coming and going out of the hotel room and the guy across the hall, whenever he opens the door, he sees something crazy running out, whether it's the bodyguard covered in snow or, Yes. It's all those funny little random haha moments. Yeah. Yeah. And he does a great job of trusting the audience that the audience will put the pieces together. Yeah. I mean, he trusts that you have to pay close attention with his movies. But, but yeah, I don't know. I I just, I forgot about some of those funny little moments, even down to like at the very beginning when Toddy's former lover's walking down and they just, it's a close up on his driver who's just yawning. Yeah. (laughs) And then you continue on with the scene. There's like all these wonderful little like gems. And then we haven't gotten onto Leslie Ann Warren. Oh, I, my I, God. I'm so happy that you're mentioning her. I, I think, Michael, you and I have talked about, uh, about this. And, Mark, Robbie, we might have talked about it, too, but I don't think it's ever been on the podcast. I have a major pet peeve. And here's my Several, pet. but... <laughs> I, I have several pet peeves. What's here, today's? Today? <laughs> what God. is this? What is this ours? Um, honestly, like an advent calendar of pet peeves. <laughs> <laughs> that made me so happy. It's the, first, <laughs> it's the first time I laughed since 2016. Um, so my my pet peeve is this, which is I think that uh, performing comedy is harder than performing drama, and I it annoys me that the Academy Awards do not often recognize comic performances mm-hmm. in movies because they I don't know why they just don't think it's like acting and I'm like this is actually 10 times harder than weeping uncontrollably in a bathtub. Leslie Ann Warren and Robert yeah. Preston both received Academy Award nominations for yeah. their performances. Mm-hmm. Now Robert Preston bless him is a brilliant comic performance with lots of like touching moments in this. Yeah. Leslie Ann Warren gives you a full on comic performance that's one of the funniest ever committed mm-hmm. to celluloid let's talk about her she's james garner's uh, girlfriend right she's yeah. the gang the gangster like girlfriend no, I'm a the mall. yeah yeah the mall. um the mall and let's what do we love about this performance from uh the very own miss scarlet herself uh, yes well that's where also because clue was my second favorite movie growing up and so when i discovered that miss scarlet was in mm-hmm. this movie i was you know sold come on out Yes. I mean, I think she, it's one of those rare times where someone, and I think this is what the cast of Schitt's Creek does really well too, where she is this over-the-top, almost cartoon-level character, but she somehow makes her real. Yeah. She somehow grounds it in a reality that I think is so hard because she's playing to such a high degree of like comic with the voice and the body and the wigs and the eyes. Yeah, but she's fully Bugs Bunny in a wig. Fully, but yeah. she's a mm-hmm. fully fledged three dimensional person. She's never a caricature of a mm-hmm. dumb mall. Like she gives her so much feeling. Um, Do you have a favorite moment of Leslie Ann Warren in the film? Yeah, I think it's it's a toss up. I love her scene with Toddy when you first really get to know her, mm-hmm. and they're at the after party in the hallway, and she's like, "You're a queer," mm-hmm. and he's like, "We prefer gay," and she's like, "It's a waste," you know. And they have that <laughs> lovely little scene together. She's like, "See in church." But that's where I think you first see that's like, oh, she's a real woman and she really has opinions about this. And she's actually not a bad person. 
um, in her own special little way. She's quite understanding. Mm-hmm. And then I love later when you see her first meltdown, when he puts soap in her mouth. Oh, yeah. She loses her damn mind. And she just starts throwing vases at the wall and attacks them with a spear. And again, it's so funny. And you could see, I bet she, it seems like she's ad-libs a lot in this movie. Mm-hmm. Where, like, her mouth is full of soap. And she's like, that's it, that's it, that's it. And you can tell she's probably <laughs> making up those lines. And they're uh-huh. almost... And like, no one puts soap in my mouth, not even my own mother. But again, it doesn't feel fake. It all feels so real. She's genuinely so livid. I love watching her watching King watch Victor, Victoria for the first time. And at the end, they're clapping. And then, of course, uh, Victor, Victoria takes off her wig to reveal that she's a man. And when she starts screaming, yay, as she, the clapping gets bigger and crazier. That's a gift that's used on Twitter, I would say, 27 times a day, right? Yeah. yeah. And actually, you're right. At the beginning, the look on her face when uh-huh. she realizes he likes her, and she's yeah. like, oh, fuck. Right. <laughs> it's so layered. And also, there's a scene where she's, like, going through chocolates and biting into them and, like, spitting them back out because they're, like, nougat or whatever. And she's like, still left. Yeah. <laughs> genius. Because it's such a... No, it's like another comic layer on top of everything else that's happening within that scene. Mm-hmm. And again, I, that felt like stuff that she probably brought to the role. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's so it's so funny. I was reading an interview with her and I wanted to, to quote a little bit from it. Um, she, if, if, if I may, uh, a, a, reading <laughs> I from, a reading from the Book of Warren, chapter six, <laughs> verse three. <laughs> I was not an asshole during the production of Dream. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I have to, that's, <laughs> Let me go back a chapter. That's a niche yeah. joke. Niche John joke, Pizzarelli uh, begs to differ, but here I, we are. <laughs> she, she was saying that, and this is a quote from her. She said, um, when she went, she read the script for Victor Victoria, she was like, uh, Norma wasn't a blonde. She didn't have an accent, didn't have a dance number or a musical number. Um, she was pretty much a classical uh, Corrine at the time. So I started to think about what I wanted to do with this role. And I made up this whole history for her. She grew up on the Lower East Side in a family of 14. She had to yell to be heard. She worked at Woolworths and read the movie magazines and wanted to look like Jean Harlow. Um, and when she went in for the audition, um, she was like, I need a hair, makeup, and costume designer to work on me before I go into the actual audition. So she said, but she, her big thing was because she studied with Lee Strasberg, she's like, I need to make this person a fully dimensional character. Otherwise, I won't be able to perform it. And I think you can see that really beautifully in this. But a lot of what Norma ends up being on screen is her own creativity and her own filling in the blanks of the character. Uh, I mean, you could tell, like, that scene when Julian just finally is going to, like, reveal to her that she's a woman. But she's like, oh, my God, what? It? Well, she's backing up, and she has all those wonderful little ad-libs. And then the, wait, lock the door. Like, <laughs> uh, you mentioned her musical number, and I'd love to talk about mm-hmm. this film as a musical and if we consider it a musical. I... Because every song is a nightclub song. Yeah. So it's all diegetic. Yeah, and I mean, sometimes the nightclub song, you know, has a layering of what, you know, reflecting what's happening in the story at that time. Mm-hmm. I don't consider it a musical for, because for me, a musical means that the, the music is moving the plot forward right. in some way. And like you said, everything is diegetic. Mm-hmm. So it's not, I don't consider it to be a musical. I consider it to be a movie with music. Now, yeah. Henry Mancini and Leslie Burkus did win the sole Oscar for the film. Uh, beating out Ralph Burns for the Annie uh, adaptation. What? That year. Yeah, you're welcome. We got uh, Annie. <laughs> you no, know, you know this, how much I love that film. 
They, um, that's but, the year sign lost. <laughs> Carol Burnett <laughs> yes. and Albert Finney's sign. I can't. I need yeah. to lay down now. The dance single of sign is actually trending right now on Billboard's non 100. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you like so, the orphans in the closet. They love it. <laughs> you hawk their Christmas souvenirs. Drink. Thank uh, you so much. You can, you okay. can. Once again, we'll get to a Patreon, folks. We'll, yep, we'll give you the whole show. We'll we will recreate show. all of Sign. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think we'll get green screens, and actually that'll be something for our Patreon. Uh, oh, that's great. We can totally do that. I'm sorry, you were saying, is it a mu- I I don't consider it to be a musical. That's just my opinion, though. But then in 95, 1995. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. It a full-fledged Broadway musical, but they had planned, like, Blake Edwards wanted it to be a Broadway musical from the minute the film came out. That is, yeah. Pro- and was it Robert Preston said no, right? Robert yeah. Preston said no. That it was just like a, it was ego. like a, a, a Blake Edwards um, ego trip, right? Yeah, ego trip, sort of like a jerk off session for himself. But he, oh, now I have a very interesting story about. I would love to hear this. It. This production about a Blake of Edwards Victoria. jerk off session. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sign that's us up. A, that's on the OnlyFans. <laughs> Hi, I'm Robert Osborne. Welcome to <laughs> OnlyFans. Tonight, you're going to see a jerk-off session from Blake Edwards from 1962. It's shot on 8mm, and if you'll notice in the back in the third minute of the film, you'll see Julie Andrews baking a cake from 1962, Blake Edwards jerks off. I can't. Uh, <laughs> How dare you? That's a, it's not a good Robert Osborne, but that's the it's the essence. Does everyone understand that? Mm-hmm. Um, Captured the essence. Yes. So you're you're absolutely right. 1995. It, it's it's a musical on Broadway. It's directed by Blake Edwards. It's starring Julie Andrews. Um, and like you said, they were going to do it with Robert Preston. Robert Preston turned it down. He died mm-hmm. in 1987. They were able to move forward. They brought in Tony Roberts, the great Tony Roberts, to play oh, yeah. um, uh, the Robert Preston role. And I, uh, I was talking to Tony Roberts once, and I was like, what was that experience like? And he goes, oh, it was batshit crazy because... Uh, Blake Edwards had never directed a musical before. He had never directed a stage show before. You could tell. And and he said on the first day of rehearsal, he goes, all the actors are there. Everyone gathers for the meeting greets, 10 o'clock in the morning. And Blake Edwards walks into the rehearsal room and he looks at all the tape on the floor, right? Because, you know, when you're in a rehearsal, they lay tape down to show you where all the sets are. Mm -hmm. And he goes, what's that? And they're like, that's the tape on the floor to signify where the pieces are going to go. And he goes, you mean we're not rehearsing on set? And they're like, no. And he was like, I don't know what to do. And at 10.05, they sent the entire company home and the first day of rehearsal was canceled because he didn't know what to do. Oh God, well, they must've gotten a good idea. See, I actually think the musical, cause you can watch the musical. Um, it was yes. one of the first ones that they filmed and yes. which was nice having that be my first musical and then I could buy the VHS. Yes. Uh, and relive that experience over and over again. And I don't know. I think the physical comedy in that is so funny, though. Like, there's the whole that cat and mouse sequence where you have the mm-hmm. maid who ke- who just gets drunker and drunker throughout the scene and to the point where she can't even... It takes two hands to do a doorknob. Like, I think it's that classic Blake Edwards really funny slapstick comedy. I think it's better on the the video, like the film version of it, though, Probably. because you get those close-ups. I will say that uh, Rachel York was <sighs> transcendent. And she oh, played... She she played Norma, She's so she in. she was uh, uh, um, Leslie and Warren's role, and I think um, she did it justice. She's yeah, more unreal. than I think she she took something 
and some not great songs. Like her songs were not good. And so, um, and, and sorry, just very quickly for a reminder for our listeners. So the score was written by Henry Mancini and Leslie Brickus. Then Henry Mancini, Henry Mancini died. died. And Frank Wildhorn jumped in and wrote some new stuff. And the song stack changed through the run. So, so like they open quickly after opening Jetson, the opening of Act Two song, which was called Louis Says, because every critic in the world hated it. That was a Frank Wildhorn song. Uh, Crazy World goes away when Liza comes in for four weeks uh, for a new song called Who Can I Tell, uh, which you can watch on YouTube. Um, and then uh, that song goes away and Crazy World goes back in when um, uh, Raquel Welch uh, replaces Julie officially. Um, and that song stack is what went out on the tour with Tony Tennille from Captain Tennille. Oh, <laughs> the lovely Tony Tennille. Um, yeah. And you can watch some of her on YouTube, too. Nice. Yeah. So like you were saying before, this was something, it, you know, the movie got really strong reviews. It, when it first came out, people really enjoyed it. Like you saw, it got a bunch of Oscar nominations for a comedy that's, you know, like a needle in a haystack. Yeah. They, let me ask you this. What do you feel, and Michael, I'll start with you because, you know, this was your first Broadway show. What do you feel that the music adds to the story that was not there previously? Why is this a strong candidate for being turned into a musical? Um, so I, that's the thing. I actually where I think the movie is better than the musical is that it's such a strong story and that script is so sharp and so funny that um, it almost took away from it a little bit when they added songs in. I kind of wish when they did the musical adaptation, they just did more of those sort of like cabaret type numbers. There were just more of those moments. Mm -hmm. Um, Because where the show does sort of dip a little bit is the songs that they tried to sort of put in. Other than Julie's. Julie's always work because I think she's so good. She can just pull it off. But like Michael Norrie's song and like I say, Rachel York's songs, like they weren't the best. Rachel York is just so good. She makes it work. Mm. But this script is so tight and such Mm -hmm. a great, far as I could see it working beautifully on, stage kind of like a noises off type thing where it is slamming doors it is you know mistaken identity and all that great you know and then the slap stick uh, blake edwards physical comedy moments um so i think it works on stage um but yeah i think the musicals the musical numbers were like uh, it almost just should have stuck as a play with music yeah i mean one of the troubles with farce is you don't want to let any air out and when you stop to sing and you stop to dance especially a ballad about yeah. oh yeah Except yeah. Living in the Shadows, I think she did a great job with that. That one about Living in the Shadows that she Yeah, was honestly, uh, Frank Wildhorn's best song. You know, I think that song is amazing and she just knocks it out of the park. Mm-hmm. And so, and like we said, you know, we're lucky because it was one of the first to be filmed. Um, and then, you know, um, released, I believe it was, on pay- was it on pay-per-view first? And then it went to like VHS yes. DVD? I think um, they were trying to recoup anything because even though it ran for two years on Broadway um, and ultimately ended uh, Julie Andrews' singing career um, because of a botched vocal cord surgery, uh, it, she, she was committed to it because of Blake. And uh, so they filmed it to try to recoup anything because Mm. she missed so much of the run uh, and her understudy who uh, was Anne, Anne Renolfson, is that how you say her last name? Yeah. Who was like the street singer who opens the whole show, Paris by Night. Like the minute people saw her like understudy slip, they would run to the box office to get refunds Mm -hmm. uh, because they 
people wanted to see Julie Andrews in a Broadway musical because she hadn't done one since Camelot. Mm -hmm. She did putting it together off Broadway, but never did another Broadway show. There's two big things that this Victor Victoria musical is known for. The first is the Tony nominations, which which has sort of become lore in the theatrical community. Who would like to tell the story of Egregiously Overlooked? Oh, you already did. Egregious is the star of that Come story. on, yeah. Agree- so if, just a reminder, it's 1995. The Tony Award nominations come out. You would think that this show would get some nominations. And the, yeah. the uh, uh, Rachel York. The choreography, those sets, the costumes. Mm-hmm. Rachel York won the drama desk. So did the, Julie. The choreography was by Rob Marshall, who uh, would later direct the film Chicago. Yeah. So, I mean, this, yeah. The, the, and the, the sets were off the charts. That yeah, set the incredible. sets were great. And those mm-hmm. costumes yeah. were insane. And I mean, because, I, like, beloved... Uh, Tony Roberts was in the show and Rachel York, who was well-loved in the community, and Greg Jabara, who played yeah. the bodyguard. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. Michael Nouri, who's a big movie star. Right. And you so would assume. You, you would assume. And uh, boy, you assumed wrong because no. the only person they nominated was Julie Andrews, the design, the choreography, Tony Roberts, Rachel York. Nobody got a nomination. And uh, the, I think it was like maybe the day or so after the Tonys came out, might have been the nominations that day. Um, Julie Andrews, and this is all on YouTube, by the way, folks. Somebody yeah. filmed this. Um, she takes her curtain call. And then does a very long speech saying that she is going to decline the nomination because she has to stand by her egregiously overlooked cast and crew, um, which is pretty, you know, pretty ballsy, I think. And I, 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 so. I, respe- I respect that. Um, yeah. She stands with the company. Um, and I will say she was right. She was right, because if you're a theater fan, you can go back and look at the other people nominated in those categories. And you're like, there are some people that maybe should not be here and we can replace them with Tony Roberts, Rachel York, mm-hmm. the design, the choreography. Um, and of course she lost, she was still, even though she declined the nomination, she was still in the running. Um, and Donna Murphy won for yeah. uh, The who, King and I. Who thanked everybody in the category, in, including the inspiring Julie Andrews. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she so, talked got about a good that laugh. after. How for her that was a really awkward win. Like they've asked her about her Tonys and she was like, I was so proud of Passion when I won for that because it was such a passion project, you know, for her. Yeah. And then she was like, but King and I was a weird year because it was Julie's Tony. And Julie Andrews had never won a Tony and still has never won a Tony, Yeah. Uh, obviously. And I think she was like, Julie had won all the other awards leading up to it. She was the favorite to win. And then she pulled out and so Donna won. And she was like, I feel like I won Julie's mm. Tony. Mm which is kind of a weird feeling. And also like how Julie Andrews refused to perform at the Tony Awards. They wanted yeah. her to perform. And she was like, well, no. Yeah, uh, she, she's, she, st- she stood strong and firm and she's a team player and that's incredible. Um, yeah. and, as you were, and as you were saying before, Robbie, the other thing that I think this, this production is known for, while she was uh, gone on vacation though, um, yeah. they needed another, they needed a big star to come in to keep the ticket sales going. And they turned to Liza, Minnelli. And, and we are so excited, folks, because Miss Minnelli is joining us from uh, her home in Hoboken. Hi. Um, it's Saskatchewan. Oh, Saskatchewan. I'm so sorry. Miss Minnelli, can you tell us a little bit about what it was like coming in to replace Julie Andrews on Victor Victoria? So, you remember, in 1976, I spelled 
Gwenford in Chicago on Broadway, and there was no publicity. You know, I just, I said, Bobby, what do you need? Gwen, what do you need? And they said, Liza, we need you. You need me. They need, they love me. So, so I did that. And then 20 years later, Julie came to me and she said, Liza, I love you so much. And I said, I love you. You're my best friend. And I said, what do you need? And they said, we need you, Liza. And I said, I can do it. Okay. So I should take everything down a third. Because <laughs> I can't, I don't have that. It's, you know, I, can't, I just never had that note. So I was not a college soprano, but I was a belter who could belt so high that I could break glass. And that's what changed for me in Victor Victoria. So I went in for four weeks and there was just a simple slip, an insert that said, Liza, that said, Liza. And so it was me and the dancers and the boys and we just did it. Miss Garland, were you proud of your daughter? I looked out and I said, Liza, for the bleary, eye. it wasn't bleary from the clouds, but from well, my morning cocktails. And I looked out and I said, well, that's, that's my girl, sequins head to toast singing her song. She's not a soprano, but she'll sing loud enough to shatter glass. I taught her that myself. Remember and when they tried to make me look like a woman, Mama? It was a noble effort. They, was, they tried. They tried I've, been, so I've been trying for years, Liza, make you look like a woman. <laughs> trying for years. Finally, well, I came up. they said, well, you are a man. It's fine. I miss you so much. If I may, okay. I heard a rumor that you and Tony Roberts did not get along. We did not. No, well, okay. So I didn't have much time, you know, to learn the scripts because they gave me two weeks. I had a pudding. You know, I learned it with a stage manager. A stage manager. You know, in my day, Bobby put me into Chicago. Martin Scorsese directed the act. So, I, you know, I, replacing wasn't what I did, right? So they had a stage manager put me in and learning. There were so many songs. They, there was so much dialogue. And one day I forgot a word and I said the wrong thing. And Tony Roberts, he walked out and he never came back the rest of the run. That's a true story. Michael Riedel wrote about it. And he, he's, well, he's my best friend. But in Tony's honor, I created a strapless one-piece dress that you can buy now on KBC. Just drape one shoulder. We're talking to Doris in Georgia. <laughs> Georgia. <laughs> you know, Tony, Tony was my mentor too. <laughs> Thank you. Remember it. Thank you, Miss Minnelli. We'll take you back to Saskatchewan, Miss Garland. Please go back to your cloud. Thank you right. so much. <laughs> Thank you so, you so much. We love when mothers and daughters get together. I love Guru Votes. <laughs> it's a it's a pod, it's it's a podcast. You know, it's like radio. <laughs> Without commercials, well, sometimes there's commercials, usually for Squarespace. Do you know, Michael? Do you know Squarespace? <laughs> I, I wish you could see this, folks, because Robbie is literally looking to an imaginary person who's not there. Um, or is he? Or is he? Is I he? believe Michael Feinstein is there. Hey, yo! <laughs> <laughs> I saw Liza. You saw her do it. I saw her, and I saw her go up. Oh. I saw Tony and her. It was a, a Sunday matinee. And um, so there's a line where she's like, uh, uh, well, all I am is a second-rate hoover, right? That's the line. 
um, because they changed her from an opera singer to like a, a vaudeville kind of dancer lady. Um, and so the line was changed to all I am is like a second rate singer to all I, all I am is a second rate hoofer. But she said hooker. Oh. So she said, well, all I am is a second rate hooker. Wait, did I say the hooker? It must be the brandy. And that's when Tony Roberts like never returned after after really? that matinee. He really never came back? He well, he came back when Julie came back. Wow. Yeah. Wow. He's like, I'm out. I'm out. But she was wonderful. She was in fantastic voice. Living in the Shadows was spectacular. There was this new song called Who Can I Tell? Uh but I miss Crazy World. However, like uh, who can I tell? Like move the plot so that was interesting uh she was good you know it's victor victoria who's to say she was no tony Tennille. um <laughs> sans so, captain sans yeah. captain where is the captain he um, could have been toddy right he could or, or michael murray he could have been king that's you know yeah. can you let's get you in a time machine let's go back and fix these wrongs of the mid-90s honestly michael here's what i want to know we're yeah. taking the cast of Schitt's Creek and putting them in Victor Victoria. Oh my God. And how does that break down? Well, I mean, Moira obviously is Victor Victoria. Duh. Crazy world. <laughs> full of crazy contradictions like a child, like a baby. <laughs> um, yeah, and then I think, you know, uh, Johnny is, I, has to be her love interest. David is Toddy. <laughs> and oh my God. Um, and Alexis is, you know, Norma. Oh, 100%. Like, mm. We got a whole show here, folks. It's it's done. Now, Michael, we were talking about this before we went on the air, and, and I'd love to continue this conversation, which is, does this movie still hold up in 2020 when we're recording this episode? Yeah, see, I think it does, just because of what we've said. I love that um, it doesn't... Uh, not perpetuate a stereotype, because I hate to talk about that, but it's, I, I love that um, all of these characters have so much heart, whether they are this over-the-top comedic sort of um, uh, Norma Cassidy character or, you know, Tony Roberts or the, the bodyguard, they're all very true to who the character is, whether they happen to be gay or straight is not, you know, it's part of it, but it's not what defines them. Yeah. And I love that this was a movie about the circumstance that starred gay characters. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think that I think is still very relevant today. I think that it was a movie that was just about people and it didn't matter if they were gay or straight. And I love that that's a message that's there. Um, and I like that the straight characters aren't necessarily super homophobic. The ones that are homophobic are the bad guys. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Not necessarily, but there are a good amount of straight characters in the film who are not homophobic at all. So um, sure. Robbie, what about you? The, the the comedy of it holds up Julie's performance and Robert, like the two of them are so spectacular. Did you, did you guys know that when the Shady Dame happens at the end, they filmed that in one take? And in the real dress that she wears. Yes. So they didn't they, make him a whole new dress. They built the dress to him and then uh, refitted it to her with like hooks and eyes and stuff. So you see the dress sort of falling apart in real time as he's doing, that's why he's out of breath and sweating so profusely and stuff because they did one take of it. The dress still exists in a private collection oh, whoa. with all like the ribs and tears and stuff. And another um, a little piece of trivia is you see a homosexual dancer um, called Victor Divine, right? Mm -hmm. I don't care what she is. She's, div she's divine. Mm -hmm. That is Blake Edwards' son, Julie Andrews' stepson, Jeffrey Edwards. 
whoa, really? I remember yeah. watching it this morning and I was like, God, he's really pretty. He like, is very pretty. He's very handsome. Mm-hmm. Give yeah. him a cameo. I love so that. The film 100% holds up. I don't think the musical holds up so much. I think you really need like a spectacular magnetic star to make the musical work. Let's yeah. let's imagine that, you know, there's a really rich producer that says, I'm, I Stephanie love this. Stephanie J. Block. Stephanie J. Block would play Victor. Victor. Victoria. Yeah, yeah, she already did it once. <laughs> no. That's no, that's true. Oh, as far but, as playing a cross-dressing. Situation. Yes, yes. But she's she would be spectacular in it. Well, now let me let me expect. Probably just get Anne Hathaway though. Let's be real. I was. Oh. Um, so, Michael, why why does someone in our community need to see this film? Otherwise, their gay card is going to be revoked. Why should they see it? Well, for the performances, I think they should see um, Leslie and Warren essentially being a big old drag queen and being brilliant at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, honestly, strangely enough, surrounded by gay characters, she's the gayest person in that movie. Um, for Julie Andrews' performance, just because it's exquisite. And then um, for the physical comedy, because it's so good. I don't know. There's just so many reasons. I'm sorry. <laughs> now I'm just trailing off. I'm like just revisiting it. Um, I think it's just <laughs> a great, great film. And again, where you see these like fully fledged people. And I think like for someone like me, when I was growing up, um, I never felt like I fit in in a lot of gay circles. I wasn't flamboyant enough to be with gay people. I wasn't butch enough to be with like those guys. It took me a very long time to figure out my place and I think what I learned is that like my place is just me you know just sort of my most authentic self and um I don't have to be a certain I don't have to be Jack or Will that uh, right you know well, I don't have to be you know so yeah, there that there's all different there's a spectrum of types of gay you can be and I think this movie shows that you have Toddy who's the gay cabaret singer who is the most effeminate one in the film and he's not even super effeminate but then you have the you know the football playing bodyguard um, you know, and they're all just so authentically themselves. That's so I think that's a nice message. That's the film's happy ending is everybody coming into their light uh, as their true authentic self mm-hmm. and ending up with who they're supposed to end up with because they are their authentic selves. Yeah. Like, like Toddy, all he wants to be is a drag queen. Yeah. And he gets it at the mm-hmm. end, you know, and he finds his love. Yeah. And so does yeah. she. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. What a great, great message. Um, for, for people to really embrace in this in this current climate, like being your authentic self. Um, it's also a great escape for two hours. It, it is, is a great, it's yeah. So fun. It's just fun. Mm-hmm. It is. It's it's way of you know. Honestly, this film, even though it takes place, I think in what in the 1930s in Paris. Am I right when I say it's the yeah. 1930s? Yes. Uh huh. It's so ahead of its time, and it still feels fresh today in 2020. Because I don't know a lot of movies back then that were really talking about be your authentic self which was really not a big message in films back then, I don't feel. Uh, what we like to do on this podcast is at the end, we have a little trivia contest. Um, we are going to read you quotes from the film. We're going to leave out a word, and you're going to have to guess what that word is. Okay. You should be fine. You just watched the movie again today, yes? But I have such a bad short-term memory. You're fine. I had a director once tell me, he, my nickname was Goldfish because I couldn't remember anything. Just keep swimming. You're going to be fine. Okay, Michael, okay. here we go. Question number one. This is a quote from Toddy. Um, okay. And he says, oh, God, there's nothing more inconvenient than a blank blank with a head cold. Ah, uh, than an old queen with a head cold. One for one, Michael, you see? Very good. All right, Robbie, give him the next one. If you ever come back, I will have you thrown out. Toddy, don't make it sound like such a threat being th- thrown out of this place. 
is only slightly better than being thrown out of a leper colony. Ah, there you go. This is Norma. You can't think about it. You just got to put it out of your mind. The more you think about it, the more you worry. The more you worry, the more you think, think, worry, worry, think. Mm, too soft. It just gets like a vicious <laughs> cycle. And then before you know it, you are... Impotent. Very good. Very good. And then in the musical, she does it. Ooh, cherry. I love that they kept <laughs> that she gets a chocolate. She doesn't like <laughs> Worry think. <laughs> All right. Robbie, give him the this last one. This is King one. and the Bartender. Milk. Would that be cow's milk, monsieur, or mother's milk? King, how about your... Sisters. Yeah, see? Shit! Michael, oh, I don't know. I'm not memorized. I'm not off, but look at you. I I just have really low self-esteem. He truly the don't make me (laughs) sing a podcast. What? You are the don't make me sing of podcasts. Don't make me sing. (laughs) Michael, tell us again where everybody can follow you. You can follow me on the Instagrams and on the TikToks at mjudsonberry, M-J-U-D-S-O-N, berry like strawberry. And on the, uh, the YouTubes, mm-hmm. uh, if you look for Michael Judsonberry uh, or Quarantine Time, because that's what my little show is called. It's so brilliant. It really It makes is. me very happy. And Thank in you. these dark times, you are just like a little, little spark of joy. That Aww, pops thanks. up in the feed. Makes me very happy. Well, and Rob, where can people follow us? Uh, they can follow us on uh, Instagram and Twitter at GRevoked. Uh, GRevoked. Um, and where we will post lots of wonderful social media content. And we'll post some of Michael's wonderful um, uh, videos where mm-hmm. he does brilliant, brilliant work. Michael, you know that little, the, the, the little repost. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Michael, thank you so, so much. I can't just uh, from a friendship point of view, I am so happy for you to see everyone in the world recognizing what we've all known for a long time, which is how utterly brilliant and how utterly funny you are. So I'm happy that the rest of the world is catching up to us. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> and Michael, from a lover's point of view, I'm just thrilled. <laughs> from a lover, yes. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> every Thursday for the last three years, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is you roll to... over and you say, "What's your name again?" And every week we go through this. <laughs> it's a vicious cycle. It's it a bit, a... <laughs> before you know it, I'm still waiting for you to become impudent. <laughs> Well, this I, has been a damn joy. It has. Michael, I hope at some point in one of your TikToks, Leslie Ann Warren shows up. That you, I, would, I, would, done. I would love it. <laughs> I feel like the big thing is to get her. Oh, also, real quick, we didn't drop that both of them were Cinderella's. Oh, oh yes. yes. I mentioned that both Shit. Cinderella's are in one movie. I just wanted to drop that in real quick. Oh, that makes me happy. Makes me very happy. Let's, so, let's remake this thing with Brandy. And let's get like the whole the whole Cinderella contingent. Oh my god, and Bernadette Peters is Norma Cassidy. <laughs> oh, that would, oh and from heaven you just hear, Why are you down there? <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite video to fall out of the the whole Cinderella canon. Is Which one? Them rehearsing. Whitney oh. Houston and Brandy rehearsing impossible. And you just hear Brandy go, Impossible. And Whitney goes, Why are you down there? Impossible. It's nuts. And what is everyone's homework for our next episode? I'm excited by this. This is interesting. I am too. But our guest uh, for our next episode is going to be the wonderful Marty Thomas. And (gasps) he wants to talk about the Star Search episodes of Linda Etter. I, Marty Thomas, I've known him since that trip down to New York when I was 10 years old. 
Shut up. Full yeah. circle. The girlfriend that got me backstage for Victor Victoria was mm-hmm. a choreographer for all these different events, and Marty was her headline singer. Yeah, that makes sense. I was obsessed with him when I was a kid. I thought he was the coolest thing ever. You should be obsessed with him now. I still am. Yeah, I ran him the other day. He's such, I, you are lucky, lucky folks to get him on. He's a dream. He, his record, Slow Dancer with the Boys on my label, he is a delight. And uh, I've known him for 20 plus years. And I can't wait to talk about Linda Etter with him. So, folks, if you click on our description for next mm-hmm. week, you can click on the link to see uh, these Linda Etter video. Linda Etter. Linda Etter. I call it Linda. Linda chocolates. Linda, so I know. You are full Long Island. What just happened? <laughs> Have you Linda Etter. He was very good. I saw it at the JCC last week. I saw it. He's saying, I am what I am. And I said, are you? <laughs> Michael, would it be okay if Moira Rose did a quick little advertisement for, for our podcast? Well, listening to the delightful Get God Revert. I'm, I'm so bad at being off the cuff. I'm so sorry. I haven't taken an improv class since 1987 when I was opposite Val Kilmer. He slapped me once in an improv scene. I said, no touchy. Instead, <laughs> my wake barely came right off. I said, Dad. You know what, Patrick Flynn? What? Beth Amon. I hate this movie. Love Actually? Yes. Me too. But I also love it. Me too. But I hate it. You know what we should do? What? We should get a bunch of people together, split the movie into its 10 storylines, and then figure out this movie one story at a time. You mean people like Keith Powell and Jill Knox Powell from NBC's Connecting? Keith, why don't you show us what porn watching faces? And Washington Post columnist Alexandra Petri? I don't know. I think every Christmas story is a horror story. Do you think it would work? It actually inspired me to plan my funeral. I dig the uh, brothel angle. Every time I think about the trailer, I'm like, I was misled. I love your use of the word shag, by the way. Can I mix your ashes with glitter? It's like eight half screenplays just put in a blender. I am positive I stayed with my ex an extra six months because we saw this in the theater. It will definitely work. What is Love Actually? Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download. All episodes out November 27th.